It's now time for the Billy C Show. Part of the BillyCBoxing.com network. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Caliger, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whatever you're watching, whenever you're listening. I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria, an Italian restaurant located in St. Simons Island, Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give my man a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by the Title Bout Championship computer game. Get yourself a copy right now. If you want to do some simulations between fighters of yesteryear versus fighters of today, or fighters versus today versus today, uh, you know, dream fights that uh, guys don't want to step in the ring and fight, uh, do it. Get yourself a copy right now. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by... Our 24-hour, seven-day-a-week boxing channel, Billy C. Boxing, available on all the major streaming outlets. Uh, just visit GinecoUSA.com uh, and sign up today. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by uh, Kenny Bears, uh, Kenny Bears uh, Barbecue Rub, and Kenny Bears uh, All-Purpose Season Salt, and Kenny Bears Cajun uh, uh, Spice, which is my favorite. Uh, visit uh, southerngourmetspice.com uh, and get yourself a couple of bottles today. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, uh, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now where you're watching or listening to this very show. Just visit barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting uh, Tom Molino's story told. Uh, okay, you know, uh, everybody's uh, kind of been uh, trapped indoors with the uh, coronavirus. Um, it's uh, taken its toll on most, I believe. Um, I also believe that uh, the world will never go back uh, to the way it was. I, I really don't think it will, even when this is all over. So with that said, um, we are... Uh, uh, we are at a crossroads with the show. Uh, I am not sure uh, if we will be moving forward with it on a weekly or even daily basis. Uh, I'm thinking more along the lines of maybe just doing live specials or whatever. Uh, so I I'm looking for your input. Uh, so uh, if you could uh, uh, drop me an email, Billy at Talking Boxing. That's T A L K I N. B-O-X-I-N-G uh, dot com. Uh, I would appreciate it. But uh, uh, also, which adds to my frustration, is uh, our streaming partner, uh, YouTube, uh, utterly uh, sucks. And they make changes and all this stuff they don't tell anybody. So, therefore, right now, as a matter of fact, we're live on our Facebook feed, which is terrible to begin with. The, the quality is nowhere near... Uh, what we usually get 
but that's because uh, YouTube has made so many changes that uh, and no documentation, no updates, no nothing. Just this is the way it is. And uh, I'm not into that. I just I just I don't have the time uh, or the patience uh, to do it anymore. Uh, so uh, uh, I will uh, um, keep you guys posted on that. But I'm really looking for uh, some uh, feedback from you guys uh, to see if uh, uh, you are able to uh, communicate with what you think we should do. Uh, moving forward but uh, with that said I'm going to move forward with the show right now and here's uh, uh, what I got you know normally I kick off with uh, doing some uh, updates on news and what have you Um, but today I'm going to start off a little differently Um, what we have uh, right now uh, is an email that I received from uh, uh, my man Rick and, and he says I hope you guys are doing well I've been catching up on as many old fights on YouTube as I can during the quarantine. I'm wondering if you have any recommendations. I'm really interested in some of the older fights, uh, if there's decent quality available, uh, or maybe some of the lesser talked fights that I may not have seen before. Uh, Speaking of lesser talked fights, he says, check out Briggs and France Botha. Uh, If you haven't seen it already, it's an interesting heavyweight scrap while both guys were still solid contenders. Um, You know, I, I, I wrote some notes on the email uh, at the time, and I, you know, I would recommend people uh, to go and watch uh, Duran um, as a lightweight, uh, 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 Hector Camacho uh, pre Edwin Rosario, uh, a fighter that had it all. Uh, he was pre Edwin Rosario. He he was an attack, uh, fast, uh, brilliant knockout. He did it all. Hector Camacho, really, um, because his career lasted so long, um, I think a lot of people never got a chance to see Hector Camacho when he busted onto the scene and was like the guy. Uh, Any fight prior to the Edwin Rosario fight, Edwin Rosario opened up a can of whoop-ass on uh, Hector Camacho, and it changed Camacho's uh, uh, philosophy of how to fight forever uh so i I would recommend checking that out another uh, fighter that you could go check out that really uh, may not get the recognition was ray mercer ray mercer when he first got out uh and and turned pro you know he did the olympics and everything when he turned pro i I kept telling everyone that would listen ray mercer is going to be the next guy i mean this guy was just i loved him and i still do I, i he's a friend but um, check out his early fights. Uh, of course, early Mike Tyson, uh, Sonny Liston, uh, Pre-Ali. A- anyway, I-, I got into, you know, writing these down, and I said to myself, you know what? What's my top favorite fights? That The first six fights, five, six fights that came to mind. And these are the ones that I, I want to uh, talk about. Um, first and foremost, the first fight that comes to mind when when people say to me, you know, what's my favorite fights, um, has to be Tommy Hearns against uh, Marvin Hagler. Those were the best three rounds of boxing that I ever saw live. Um, It took place on uh, April 15th in 1985 at Caesars Palace. Tommy Hearns went into that fight, 40 wins, one loss, his only loss coming at the hands of Sugar Ray Leonard. 
uh, and uh, <clears throat> Marvin Hagler, <coughs> excuse me, went into that fight um, with a, uh, a a beautiful uh, sixty wins, two losses, and two draw uh, record. Um, this fight really was you can make the argument against the top two fighters. Uh, you know, yes, Sugar Ray Leonard was mixed in there, but everybody wanted to see this fight. It, it, they called it war. Um, it was uh, a lot of trash talk, a little bit, not like today, but some trash talk that was going on. Uh, there was a lot of uh, fanfare. It was at uh, Caesars Palace uh, in Las Vegas, um, outdoors. I mean, it was packed. It, it was the fight. Uh, and these guys, they talked smack a little bit uh, and backed every little, everything they said, they backed it up. Um, like I said, for me, it was the best three rounds of, of boxing. Um, other things about this fight, you know, I, I at the time, you know, I, I had these on and off uh, feelings about uh, uh, Marvin Hagler. Uh, sometimes I loved him, sometimes I hated him. Tommy Hearns, I always liked. I always liked Tommy Hearns. And, you know, at this time, you had a, uh, there was no real pay-per-view. Uh, the cable uh, wasn't in everyone's place. So you saw these at these um, uh, closed circuit, which has made a comeback. Uh, I'll be getting Alex Papali on here in a little bit. But, uh, you know, he, he goes uh, and watches them now uh, at the closed circuit. So it gives you the, you know, live arena feel. Uh, you could go wait online for a beer, or you go and wait online to use the men's room. I, you know, it gave you gave you that feel. And on a b big screen, you know, uh, I remember seeing it at a civic center in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, the fans there were were mostly Marvin Hagler fans. I was rooting for uh, for for Tommy Hearns, and um, you know, this fight opened up. Uh, first round was, I mean, feeling out, <laughs> they left at the feeling out. You know, I, I mean, this was just a, uh, I'm going to kill you uh, or you're going to kill me kind of an attitude. They both went at it. And, um, you know, one beautiful thing about this fight and the, f the two fighters themselves is that, um, you know, they, they, they respected each other, uh, uh, you know, outside the ring. Uh, after the fight, before the fight, uh, but during the fight, there was no respect, and uh, they both came out to to end this fight quickly. Um, it lasted three rounds, brutal three rounds, back and forth. First time I ever saw uh, Marvin Hagler really get rocked uh, in the first round. Tommy Hearns uh, nailed a shot on his top of his head, opened up a gash. Uh, Marvin Hagler saw his own blood, uh, figured he better stop it, you know, end this fight quickly. And went after Tommy Hearns. Tommy Hearns uh, hung in there. You know, his weakness uh, was his chin, so to speak, because of his uh, small, thinny, thin, thinny, thin, thin legs, chicken legs, if you will. Um, one of the most impressive things about this fight was after the fight. Uh, the accolades were, were given. Marvin Hagler won by a third-round stoppage. Um, one thing I never knew about this fight uh, until 10 years later when Tommy Hearns mentioned it. And if he did mention it before, it was basically uh, kept under wraps because I, I never recall it. But uh, Tommy Hearns broke his hand with that shot 
at the uh, top of the head of uh, uh, of uh, Marvin Hagler, and uh, never once complained. You know, today you hear it every effing time. You know, you got the old. I don't want to make excuses, but I, you know, I had a stomach flu, or I, I, I broke my hand. I couldn't land. I, I you know, these guys are. You know, I, I can't stand it. It's another reason why I'm turned off and uh, considering uh, walking away from, from doing this show. Uh, we've been doing it for 16 years, and uh, I, I just, not that I feel that other shows compete with us in terms of content or quality, it's just that I think the fan base doesn't want this show anymore. And, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm ready to oblige. So, um, you know, and some of the fighters kind of, Kind of the fighters today echo the fans, uh, never holding themselves accountable for anything. You know, it's always someone else's fault. You know, even the trainers, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we, we, we. And then uh, their fighter loses and says, he didn't do this and he didn't do that. You know, so uh, it's it's not just the fighters, it's it's just the whole thing. And it's all sports. You know, it's all sports. But uh, and, and I doubt, because it is COVID-19, I doubt sports are ever going to be the same. You know, what are they going to do? Are they going to all of a sudden have, uh, you know, everybody, oh, hey, okay, everything's cool, you know, come on, fill up the stadiums. Yeah, people are going to be nervous. People are going to practice social distancing. It's also going to affect us as a society. You know, the embrace, the hug, the handshake, it's gone. You know, nobody's going to do that anymore. You know, it's, it's, you know what, I feel very sorry for the future generations. It's going to be very... Uh, robotic in a sense, you know, uh, uh, everything's going to be sanitized. It's going to be a sanitized world. And half of the problems that we have uh, with these kinds of, of uh, viruses and germs and all of this crap is because for the last 30 years, everybody's been so conscious and, and you got to be, you got to be careful. You can't let the baby be held by a stranger. Uh, I don't mean like just some Joe Schmo off the street, but you know, oh no, they spray all this stuff on them, you know. Uh, oh no, you can't let kids play outside. They can't walk to the bus stop alone. Throw them in a minivan. We'll drive them down to the bus stop and let them sit in climate controlled until they have to get on the bus. Or better yet, they're not driving in that bus. There's no seat belts. Let's drive them ourselves. So, I mean, it's just, you know, and it's not the kids' fault. It's us. It's the parents' fault. Uh, the world has changed never to go back. So if anybody thinks that it's going to go back to the way it was, forget it. Back to boxing. I'm going to be all over the place today. I'm telling you right now. Uh, my mindset is, uh, I don't know if it's uh, COVID-19 or what. But uh, anyway, Marvin Hagler versus Tommy Hearns uh, in uh, 1985. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It was the best uh, three rounds of boxing that I recall watching live. Uh, my second fight that I wanted to talk about was uh, Marvin Hagler against Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, you know, was it an exciting fight? Nah. It, 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 I guess you could say yes, maybe to a degree. Um, it took place on April 6th in 1987. Um, Ray Leonard had been uh, off for three years uh, following his uh, comeback. He had retired for two years before Kevin Howard retired for three more uh, and came back and uh, called out uh, Marvin Hagler. There was a lot of, you know, substance to this fight. Uh, Marvin Hagler and Ray Leonard were kind of coming up together, except Marvin Hagler was more of a uh, down and dirty, had no money, real, true uh, fighter, you know, uh, 
uh, out of Brockton, Massachusetts. You know, a guy that uh, uh, had to fight his way, had to turn pro to start making a living. Uh, and uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, well, he was more of the golden boy uh, before the golden boy. And, uh, uh, you know, he went into the Olympics, had a, had a great career in the Olympics, signed big contracts before he turned pro, was on seven up com- commercials everywhere. Um, you know, he was the media darling, likable guy, good looking guy, spoke well. Um, and uh, Marvin Hagler resented that. And I uh, wanted to fight him for a long time. And uh, finally, Ray Leonard comes out of uh, retirement after three years and says, I want Hagler. Now, there's a lot of backstory to this. And, you know, one of the things was that, you know, the fight just before uh, Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard was John the Beast Mugabe uh, fought Marvin Hagler. And it was a 12-round fight, and, and the Beast took uh, Hagler into the uh, 11th round before Hagler stopped him. Now, John the Beast Mugabe was more known for being a, uh, a junior middleweight fighter, uh, so he had come up, but he also had a hard time making weight and, and being dedicated to training. So he was kind of a, a big guy, even, even though he was more known as a junior middle. And when he fought uh, John the Beast Mugabe, Sugar Ray Leonard uh, you know, I see something in there. Now's the time. Now's the time to fight uh, Hagler. They get the fight signed, sealed, and delivered. It was a huge fight. Um, and and some things that I... Because I, I've watched this fight many, many times. And some things that stick out was Marvin Hagler did not fight the fight that he fought against Tommy Hearns, against Sugar Ray Leonard. And he should have. That was the fight that he should have fought against Ray Leonard. Now, Ray Leonard was expecting that, so who knows what would have happened. But Marvin Hagler tried to outbox uh, uh, Ray Leonard in this fight, which you're not going to do. And this was a tale of two fights. This was also uh, uh, the beginning of these fighters stealing rounds, what you would call stealing rounds. Sugar Ray Leonard was was great at that. Um, He was a guy that... uh, uh, would go in and, and, you know, finish strong. The last 30, 40 seconds of the fight would finish strong and was stealing rounds. Um, but Marvin Hagler, you know, if you rewatch the fight, you see Marvin Hagler doing some things that weren't normal to Marvin Hagler. He wasn't feeling uh, so, you know, uh, I don't know, positive that he was uh, uh, sure of himself. The confidence level didn't seem there. Uh, especially when they were waiting for the announcement. It was a good fight. Here's why it's one of my favorites. It was controversial. I watched this fight at least 20 times, really, in full. I mean, I could say I watched it hundreds of times, but 20 times where I scored it over the years, and I always scored it the same, a draw. I honestly felt that this fight was a draw. Now, me and uh, a bunch of people involved with this show, Several years back up at the uh, Canastota uh, Boxing Hall of Fame, uh, we all uh, uh, re-watched this fight without sound uh, in a hotel room, and we all scored it and discussed it after each round. And a lot of people that had watched this fight over the years and years and thought, you know, Hagler won or, or Ray won, um, you know, were kind of surprised at what their thoughts were after watching it in this setting. And it, it just it just proved how close this fight was. Me, personally, I still scored it a draw. The problem I have with this fight was that there was a never, never a rematch. 
Marvin Hagler got so disgusted with the outcome of this fight that he walked away from the sport never to return, which I also respect a lot from Hagler because most fighters can't. Sugar Ray Leonard didn't. He retired, uh, you know, three times and, and came back each time. Um, Marvin Hagler uh, uh, felt he got robbed. Um, he didn't get robbed. He, he, this fight was, was very close. It could have gone either way. Hagler could have won. Ray won. Or could have been a draw. It screamed for a rematch. And Hagler got pissed off and walked away. Um, the problem I have with giving Ray Leonard the, the fight here was that the unwritten rule of boxing going into this fight was that you had to knock out or decisively beat um, the champion in order to win his title. And, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard did not do that. He, he may have won on, on the judges' scorecards. He may have won on your scorecard. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is he didn't destroy Marvin Hagler by any stretch of the imagination. Most people feel Hagler won the fight. Um, you know, it changed boxing forever because since that fight, we've seen it happen time and time again uh, where, you know, a fighter wins a title from an existing champion and you say to yourself, what fight were the judges watching? That never was the case before this fight. Another great fight to, uh, to revisit uh, while you're in uh, quarantine right now. Now, talk about a great fight. Um, you know, and, and there's just no doubt about it. Uh, there was a fight that took place on December 9th in 1961. It was between Gene Fulmer and Benny Kid Perret. Now... Sal, uh, Rocky, Senecola, and myself, uh, we did a, uh, a TV series called uh, Boxing Revisited. And this was one of the fights we called. And basically the premise of this fight, and you could watch it on the Billy C. Boxing channel. We, we replay uh, these and other specials we've done over the last 16 years. Um, but this was one that we, we called as if it was happening live. And I'll be honest, I had never watched the fight in its entirety prior to doing that show with Sal. And um, what I found was that this was probably the second most brutal fight that I ever watched um, behind the Tommy Hearns, Marvin Hagler fight. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of other brutal fights that took place over the years. But this fight, when you watch it, you never would think that it would go as long as it did. Um, this fight went 10 rounds. It was scheduled for 15. And it was back and forth. And, you know, the, 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 you know, uh, the beating that each of them took was, was unbelievable. He, here's the thing. This fight took a toll on both fighters. Benny Kid Perret had fought three months earlier uh, in, a, uh, uh, in a fight that, um, you know, he fought um, uh, Emil Griffith in two fights back-to-back -back, uh, in April of 61, then in September of 61, then three months later, uh, he fought this Gene Fulmer fight. Now, Emil Griffith and him had a brutal fight uh, in 1961 where Emil knocked him out. In Later that year, in September of 61, um, three months later, after the brutal fight in April of 61, Emil Griffith and Benny Kid Perret fought uh, to a, uh, a split decision. 
Benny Kid Perret uh, then went and fought Emil Griffith. I mean, I'm sorry, Gene Fulmer in this fight I'm talking about, December 9th in 1961. And when you watch this fight, you'll see how brutal it was. And, and the rules of boxing have changed since 1961, big time. For example, a fighter today would not be allowed to, to fight um, immediately after because, especially after a knockout, they would be put on a temporary suspension and then have to get checked out. I strongly believe that the fight between Gene Fulmer and Benny Kid Perrette was actually the fight that started the uh, uh, decline of Benny Kid Perrette. And in his next fight, three months later, uh, he fought Emil Griffith again, was stopped in tw the 12th of a brutal uh, beatdown, and then died shortly after. I strongly believe that uh, if they would have done what they do today, where they put a fighter on suspension after a knockout and then forced them to do a head scan or what have you, um, they would have seen some kind of irregularity with Emil Griff. I mean, with uh, uh, Benny Kid Perret, and wouldn't have let him fight that fight, and maybe would have saved his life. But as it turned out, it didn't. And Gene Fulmer wasn't uh, exempt from taking a beating either, because when you look at Gene Fulmer's career, Gene Fulmer had uh, 64 professional fights. When he fought Benny Kid Perret in 1961. Uh, he won by knockout in the 10th round of a scheduled 15-round fight. He would only fight three more times in his career, all against the same guy, Dick Tiger, Dick Tiger never winning one. He, he, he lost a 15-round uh, decision in uh, October of 1962, uh, which you could also see, because the, the distance between fights were never that long, you could also see that Gene Fulmer knew himself that he had been in a brutal fight with uh, Benny Kid Perret, uh, you know, in uh, in December of '61, and let you know ten months go by uh, before he stepped in the ring again, and was not the same fighter. Lost the decision against Dick Tiger. Now, make no mistake, Dick Tiger was a great fighter, but then the next fight was a draw, and uh, you know, uh, many people think that Dick Tiger won that one as well, 15 round draw, and then the final fight. Uh, of Gene Fulmer's career uh, was in uh, August of 1963, so two years uh, after the Benny Kid Perret fight, and he couldn't continue uh, after the seventh round, after the sixth round, actually. Uh, so uh, he, it was a seventh round uh, uh, loss, to you know, stoppage. So uh, if you haven't ever seen that fight, uh, Gene Fulmer against Benny Kid Perret, December 9th, 1961, that's another one. Uh, to uh, to watch um, my next favorite fight that I think you should go back and watch um, I, I, listen most people think of Roberto Duran as the Roberto Duran who fought Sugar Ray Leonard uh, no Moss everybody every young fight fan comes up to me and if, if Roberto Duran's name gets mentioned it's no Moss fight oh he quit he did bah, 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 bah. you know all this stuff um, Roberto Duran was a killer at uh, lightweight, there's no question about it, a killer. And if you go back and watch the fight uh, on uh, June 26th, 1972, when he won the lightweight title from Kenny Buchanan, was one of my favorite fights, not only in general, but uh, of Roberto Duran. Roberto Duran would go on and fight 
you know, another 30 years almost, you know. He, his last fight was in 2001, a 12-round uh, uh, decision loss to Hector Camacho uh, at 50 years old. But this fight against Kenny Buchanan, Kenny Buchanan uh, was a, uh, a really good fighter. Uh, Duran was 28-0 going into that fight at Madison Square Garden uh, in uh, 1972. And uh, Kenny Buchanan, uh, he was uh, only lost once. He was 43-1 and one, uh, and the champion uh, in that fight. If you've never seen it, please go back and watch it. Uh, Roberto Duran uh, uh, at his best uh, as a lightweight, uh, vicious fighter that could box. Many people don't look at uh, him as a boxer, and he really was. He could box. Even his first loss against... Uh, 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 what's his name? Jesus, um, uh, I can, uh, rolled on, not rolled on. What, what, let me, now I got to cheat. I got to cheat. I got to look at, um, Esteban, uh, Esteban de Jesus, his first professional loss, 1972. They would fight three times. Uh, I'm getting old. I'm losing my mind. Uh, so definitely go back and watch that. My next favorite fight. One that I highly recommend. Listen, my favorite fighter, who I think pound for pound is the best fighter in the world forever, was uh, Sugar Ray Robinson. Nobody comes close. Anybody that, that even mentions Floyd Mayweather in the same breath, or Manny Pacquiao, or even Sugar Ray Leonard, or anybody in the same breath with Sugar Ray Robinson, uh, I just ask you to please uh, uh, button your lip, button your lip. Um, because Sugar Ray Robinson was by far the best. Uh, he was even the best ever at um, welterweight. Unfortunately, we don't have any footage of it, uh, only, uh, you know, accounts of it. But everyone said we kind of started picking up footage of him at middleweight and, uh, and beyond, and he had retired. He was similar to Sugar Ray Leonard. He had retired several times. But the fight I'm talking about uh, is the uh, Valentine's Day Massacre. It took place February 14th, 1951 against Jake LaMotta. Now, Jake LaMotta, uh, he too had uh, many, many fights, 106 to be exact. And, um, you know, this fight was his 96th fight uh, going into the uh, 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 Sugar Ray Robinson fight in, uh, uh, in 1951. Um, they didn't call it the Valentine's Day Massacre uh, for just no reason. I mean, this was the classic fight where Sugar Ray Robinson just opened up a can of whoop-ass on Jake LaMotta, uh, and the fight was stopped. Um, and, you know, it, this was uh, made uh, uh, famous in the, uh, in the, in the film. Uh, you know, you didn't put me down, Ray. You didn't put me down. Yeah, he was beaten to a pulp against the ropes, and the fight was stopped. Uh, another great fight to, uh, to watch, for sure. Um, my last... One, the sixth fight, I, I strongly recommend you to watch, but I, I have to put an asterisk next to it because when you punch it up and watch it, um, you're going to find that the footage is kind of hard to watch and to really appreciate. This was a, a very meaningful fight uh, in the sport of boxing, and it really goes down as, as one of my, my favorites because of the meaning behind it. And, you know, I, I'm a historian. I've read uh, lots of uh, uh, boxing books. I have specifically have been uh, fans of both of these fighters. 
and both of their stories are, are, are great. And I'm talking about the heavyweight showdown that took place on July 4th in 1910 between Jack Johnson and James Jeffries. Jack Johnson was, in my opinion, and, and everybody that has watched this show for uh, at least uh, since we've been doing it, you know, 16 years, knows I'm not a big fan of Floyd Mayweather. Um, I'm not a big fan because Floyd Mayweather seemingly took the easy way out after he became Money Mayweather. Um, I've given him the accolades he deserves when he fought under the uh, top rank banner. He did fight some tough fights, but, you know, he, he went the, the safety route. And I don't, I, I kind of respect the money that he made and how he did it, but I don't respect him for saying he's the best because he really didn't prove it. Um, Jack Johnson, though, was very similar in style to Floyd Mayweather. Now, when you watch this, if you've never seen the fight, you're going to say, what, what are you talking about, Billy C? Well, what I mean by this is Jack Johnson was a defensive genius. You couldn't hit the guy. He was a monster in his time, but keep in mind he was only six foot tall, six foot one half inch to be exact. But he was a monster compared to the other heavyweights. And this guy, if you if you read the stories about him, um, and and all the books I've read, so many books on Jack Johnson, he, you know, ranging from the one he wrote where he's like a superhero uh, to. Uh, uh, you know, many, many, many ones that I've read. I, I have so many uh, books of, of Jack Johnson, and, you know, I know, I know his history, like, in, inside and out, and the fighters that he fought and all his stuff. And the thing about Jack Johnson was he kind of toyed with his opponents. He was so much better than them from a boxing prowess, and this is where I give him, uh, I compare him to Floyd. Because Floyd was a great boxer, and so was Jack Johnson. And uh, Jack Johnson just, he toyed uh, with his opponents, sort of like, I remember they referred to him, sort of like a cat would toy with a mouse. And uh, that's the way Jack Johnson was. You know, he would, he would uh, you know, toy with them, beat them up, and then stop them. Uh, white fighters? Eh. You know, you got to remember, this was Jim Crow America, um, you know, the, the, the uh, African-Americans had to uh, really withstand uh, a lot of uh, prejudice. And Jack Johnson really resented it, um, you know, didn't like it, didn't, you know, wanted to make a, which I don't blame him, wanted to make a stand for it. So when he fought white fighters, he kind of beat them up a little harder than he would fellow black fighters. Uh, but James Jeffries, he had been the heavyweight champion. He had fought, uh, you know, uh, 21 fights um, prior to the Jack Johnson fight and was undefeated, uh, was 19 wins and two draws. This was a guy that uh, retired uh, as a champion uh, in uh, his last fight. Uh, he fought uh, Jack Monroe and uh, knocked him out and retired. And, and as was the custom then, you weren't the champ until you lost your belt in the ring. So, so Jack, James Jeffries actually picked his two guys that should fight for his title um, and uh, uh, was the referee in the fight. I mean, uh, you know, then he went off on his alfalfa farm and uh, was uh, farming and, and put on all this weight. Well, 
you know, Jim Crow America was, uh, you know, here we are watching Jack Johnson just destroy everyone. And, you know, it killed uh, people to see a black man as the world heavyweight champion at the time. And they begged James Jeffries to come out of retirement to beat his ass. Uh, everybody thought James Jeffries, including himself, was unbeatable. Uh, they thought that James Jeffries was, there was nobody on the planet that could stand in the ring with James Jeffries and win. Therefore, why should he continue fighting? Um, that was the mentality. Well, they begged and pleaded and begged and pleaded. And finally, um, after a uh, six-year retirement, um, James Jeffries comes out and, and, and agrees and fights uh, Jack Johnson. Uh, trained for a year. So really, they made the uh, agreement of a year earlier. He shed all this weight. He was well over 300 and some odd pounds uh, and came into this fight physically looking great. And it was well chronicled. Uh, uh, you could see it. But... It was an, just, there was no, no match. James Jeffries was no match for Jack Johnson. As a matter of fact, um, they never let Jack Johnson knock him out. The, the, the cops busted out onto the scene and, and stopped the fight with uh, the famous photo of James Jeffries just beaten to a pulp, hanging over the rope, uh, and uh, Jack Johnson uh, uh, victorious. Uh, and uh, everyone had to put it to rest. Uh, interesting thing, uh, uh, James Jeffries went back to his alfalfa farm and lived out his life there. Uh, Jack Johnson, well, he fought a couple of more times uh, and um, uh, then ended up uh, losing his title to Jess Willard in 1915. Um, ended up doing some time in jail for some stuff that he uh, ran from. Uh, came back out of jail and resumed his career um, but uh, never got uh, another world title shot uh, and uh, passed away at 68 years old. So, you know, if somebody had to ask me, you know, what fights, those would be the top six that I would recommend uh, that you watch. Uh, at least, uh, uh, in my opinion, those would be the ones uh, that I think uh, would make uh, the most sense. And if you haven't seen them, or even if you did, uh, go back and uh, revisit them. Uh, because uh, they uh, uh, they are the uh, worthwhile for for sure a hundred percent. So um, uh, definitely uh, check those out uh, when you get uh, uh, the time. You know, and everybody's got some time. Speaking of getting time, um, don't forget. You know, I talk about it all the time. Uh, you got to get some of Kenny Bear's barbecue rub. Go to southerngourmetspice.com. Uh, this stuff is uh, the best. Uh, there is no question about it. Uh, make sure you tell them Billy C sent you and demand a Billy C discount. But no, wait, there's more. Because when you go to southerngourmetspice.com, Kenny Bears is the original. Uh, I put it on everything. But they got two new ones out right now. Uh, the, the blackened uh, uh, Cajun seasoning, which has become my new favorite, and the all-purpose salt, uh, which is uh, great. So get yourself a bottle of each. Tell them Billy C sent you and uh, uh, demand a Billy C discount. Southern Gourmet Spice. Uh, dot com is the place to go and uh the place to go on a friday night is uh, alex papali's house because the fun never stops joining us right now is the unshaven uh alex papali good morning alex good morning billy c yep i'm working on the uh quarantine beard yeah you know i, I just to get off topic i, I when i opened the show 
I'm so frustrated with with everything. Uh, our streaming uh, partner, number one, which uh, makes me uh, not even want to do this anymore. And like I was saying, um, you know, we may go a route now that uh, we just do specials, you know, uh, once a month or something like that or after a big fight uh, because it's just it's the fan base has has disappointed me the sport has disappointed me but more more than anything the coronavirus has disappointed me because to <laughs> to, to be honest with you alex i the world has changed it's never going to be the same um sports have changed i can't imagine uh, going to a football or baseball game where maybe you're not even going to be allowed to go. Maybe they're going to do social distancing. What are they going to do, space seats away? Uh, uh, you know, uh, you and I, when we see each other after time, you know, we give a hug. Are we going to be able to hug each other anymore? You know, are people going to shake hands? Are, are we going to be wearing masks all the time uh, because we're going to be afraid? I, I mean, it's just, you know, and then to get even deeper, and I waited to get to talk to you about it because I know that you, you'll have a, uh, an opinion, but... You know, mentally, people have changed. You know, they're they're not going to be the same anymore. I think we're going to become callous. I think that that humanity is not going to be as loving as as they used to be. I, I don't think so. I think by keeping the distance and eliminating that that emotion that you get when you see someone and and you know a, a handshake, a hug, a kiss, you know, is all gone. I, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess it's, I guess the good news is dogs and cats are going to be getting a lot more love from their owners, right? You know, but uh, uh, anyway, what do you think? Do you think the world will I, ever go back? You know, it's funny you say that because uh, my sister sent me an email the other day that had um, an editorial by uh, a dog and an editorial about by the cat, and the cat wanted, uh, couldn't wait for. Uh, things to open up so uh, their owners would go back to work <laughs> and the dog couldn't wait he thought it was very sensible to keep things closed yeah. they enjoy ball they yeah. enjoy walks <laughs> yes yes that's so true that's so true because you know my old saying with a cat you know you call a dog and they come you call a cat they say yeah leave me a message maybe i'll get back to you you know and and it's so true you know cats they want you on their terms, you know, specifically at feeding time. They love you. And then after that, you're begging for attention from the cat. You know, dogs, you know, it's different. It's like, hey, could you give me a break? Could you just I got to get up. Can you get off my feet? You know, I mean, you know, stuff like that. But uh, do you think the world's ever going to go back to to what it was? Or is there going to be a new normal? And that new normal is social distancing, not handshake, uh, hugs, kisses, uh, masks all the time. What do you think? Um, I, I hope I hope we do get back to something close to normal. I think you're right that some things are going to change, um, and probably for quite a while, if not forever. I think. I mean, I, I saw something last night. The NBA is still planning on a fall start as usual, so that means that um, they think that by the fall, you know, people could start coming to games. Um, I'm not sure if that's at least. From what I hear, that sounds like it might be a little overly optimistic. From what I've heard is that um, restaurants will go – you'll never pick up a, a menu at a restaurant and again, again, you'll have to look at the menu on your phone. That way they don't have something they keep handing to people. Uh, your server might come to you with a mask on or with a PPE on. Uh, so some things are going to be weird. 
and maybe for a while, but I do, I mean, we're primates, uh, Bill. We need that connection, that human, uh, you know, skin-on-skin connection, not to be too sexy here on a Sunday morning. (laughs) But, um, you know, that's the thing. I I, I don't know about you, but I miss that. I mean, it's nice to do Zoom with friends, and, you know, that's a lot of fun. That's something you could do is you could actually watch something on Netflix together with a couple of people, but it's not the same to watch it on when you're all on screens compared to the energy you get with two human beings in the same room uh, or more, you know, more than 10 human beings in the same room. I guess that's the real dangerous thing. But you're right. This is this thing is a difficult period. I think that um, I mean, I know just for me, uh, I mean, my governor is literally encouraging people uh, to stay home and order food from their favorite re- favorite restaurant. That's deadly for me. So yeah, it's um, it's a difficult time, and I think that um, things will be different. You know, having a server come over with a mask isn't as scary as thinking that the cook doesn't have a mask on. Right. You know. You know. Uh, so I mean that. You know. But yeah, it's. Well, uh, I think that uh, I think that dating. From now on, it's going to start like the first thing couples will do is take a hot, soapy shower together and wash all the Rona off yeah. together over the couch for Netflix. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can look at it as good or bad, depending upon your situation, you know, especially with married couples. You know, the good news for some is, hey, you get to spend more time with your wife or husband. The bad news for some is, hey, you get to spend more time with your wife or your husband. You know, um, it may lead to... Uh, uh, you know, uh, enriching a relationship or it may lead to a high percentage of divorces, you know. Uh, so who knows? Who knows? But all we do yeah, know... I have to say, I mean, personally, I know we're doing uh, our list of top fights, but if you ask me, the, I think the two movies that are like the ideal quarantine movies would have to be The Thing, uh, the John Carpenter thing, because that's it's the... the COVID-19 behaves very similarly. And uh, the other thing, and that that movie also has that claustrophobia and paranoia to it. And then the other one, of course, is uh, The Shining, which is the ultimate (laughs) warning tale about being locked away with your family. There you go. (laughs) I love The Shining. I I heard that, are they remake? uh, There's another movie that's supposed to be uh, The Kid, right? Like... uh, uh, that's you know they actually go to the same site and stuff. Is is did I see something about that? Yes, yeah, I read the book. I have not seen the movie. Um, it, it's it's a little. If you're a fan of the movie, it's sort of difficult because a lot of times people who are fans of the, that book and fans of that movie are different because Kubrick and and King had very different visions of what they were putting on the screen. So the movie and the and the book do differ. Um, so the book sequel. Uh, movie is more of a sequel to the book, not a sequel to Co- Kubrick's movie. Um, but uh, it was decent. But, it, you know, like a lot of Stephen King, I, I thought the ending was a little weak. And you mentioned the thing. Um, I, I I liked. Now, the thing was the with Kurt, the John Carpenter's was Kurt Russell, right? Yeah. Kurt OK. Russell. There was an Great. original thing that wasn't that one that I kind of liked better. Um but uh, anyway, uh, okay, our our movie uh, Siskel and Ebert uh, re- re- copy is is over. Um, but let's talk. I I you know I got an interesting email from my man Rick, 
and it, and you know I immediately said, well, these are these are some fights you should watch, and then it got me thinking, like, okay, if I could pick five, what would be five I would pick? And then I said, well, I need to pick six. Uh, so I picked the six and went over them and and recommended uh, people to uh, to watch those fights. I picked Jack Johnson, James Jeffries, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard uh, against uh, Marvin Hagler, uh, Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns, uh, Duran against Kenny Buchanan, and Gene Fulmer against uh, Benny Kid Perrette. Uh, I, I thought that those fights were worthwhile to revisit and, and watch closely, uh, you know, in the confines of your home. What did, what did you... Uh, after we spoke, uh, I, I know I gave you about 16 hours to prepare, but uh, uh, what did you come up with? Um, I, first of all, I, I do think that that's a great list, um, both for, uh, for action as well as um, historical significance. Um, and I, I, I would agree with you that in terms of Duran, uh, that's probably pinnacle Duran, uh, that fight. If, if it isn't the second, the, the Jesus fight, or the uh, brawl in Montreal, because that's another amazing Duran. But uh, yeah, the meanness um, versus Buchanan and just the speed and power. I mean, he was amazing. Um, well, I now these are not my favorite fights, but these are all great ones. And um, they, uh, they all have something about them that I really like that uh, got, them, got me to put them on this list. Um, the first one I'm going to put is going to be is a fun heavyweight scrap from November 6, 1999, and this one has a uh, COVID-19 connection because uh, I don't know if uh, fight fans were aware, but uh, heavyweight contender Derek Jefferson uh, of the 90s and early 2000s um, just uh, won a victory over COVID-19. He was in really rough shape. Uh, he posted on social media just this weekend um, about some of his struggle. And uh, back when he was a heavyweight contender, this is one of um, his most memorable fights. It was November 6, 1999 versus Maurice Mo Better, Mo Better Harris. And uh, it's just a really good heavyweight tilt. And uh, the there's it features several knockdowns, including... Uh, what was deemed uh, Ring Magazine's KO of the year. So if you want to watch a guy who uh, has recovered from this illness and uh, you want to check out his post on social media, you should be able to find that. Just look up Derek Jefferson, COVID-19. I'm sure you'll find it um, because he has recovered. And um, if you do watch that uh, fight, you could uh, get a look at him in uh, his fistic prime. Um, another one that has a connection to, uh, well, I'll save that one for a little later. This is an, another one that was just an amazing brawl. And like you had mentioned, Hagler-Hearns was just an incredible fight. Um, well, actually, maybe I should pause. I don't know if you wanted to throw anything in on that Derek Jefferson, Mo Harris one. No, it's, interest <clears throat> it's interesting to see where their careers went after that fight. Yeah. Because neither one of them really uh, amounted to anything. Mo Harris specifically had so much promise. They had other demons. Both of them had other demons that uh, uh, you know prevented them. And and one interesting thing about that particular fight is something we don't get to see much today as much. 
where you have two guys that were basically on the same path, rising, fighting each other. Um, and, uh, you know, in Mo Harris's case, he, he, you know, sunk down a little more and then, um, you know, came back again and, and was in the mix again uh, more recently, the last several years. Derek Johnson continued his rise, and then and then they both were out of the mix totally. You know, uh, which uh, I I that's the fear. You see that that's why fighters today don't fight those fights. You know, uh, because they're afraid that they're not going to get that chance. But the boxing needs those fights, Alex. Boxing needs those fights to weed out the the contenders from the pretenders, so to speak. And uh, when you have two ranked guys, which was the norm back in the day, fighting each other where one moves up and the other has to regroup, that was classic Jefferson Harris, that fight. So I, I, I think it's a great selection. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I, I think you're right. It was one of those bouts that um, it was a risk for both guys. But, yeah, that's the thing that makes, you know, especially with the heavyweights, uh, and this was a good good example because they do trade knockdowns in one of the rounds, and uh, it is one of those situations where you think you got a guy hurt, and that's probably when he's most dangerous because you're going to go in there wantonly thinking, I got him, I got him, and you're not looking at what's coming back at you, and uh, that produces one of the knockdowns in almost a second. Um, and uh, that just makes for some fun fights. Uh, and that and that's the thing. I think that heavyweight division is the division where risk is probably uh, looms largest because one punch could change everything. Yeah, uh, and that, that fight was a perfect example. Yeah, no doubt. I agree. So, an, and then another one uh, that's also heavyweights, and this is probably in terms of class, a leap in class because these were two of the very best heavyweights on earth at the time. And that's Joe Frazier versus Jerry Quarry one. Uh, like you had mentioned, Hagler Hearns is just an awesome, uh, um, you know, barn burner of a fight. Well, watch Frazier versus Quarry because if you like Hagler Hearns, Frazier versus Quarry is almost as heated a slugfest, and uh, they're heavyweights. They just stand jowl to jowl, cheek to cheek, and slug it out. And uh, Corey really puts uh, Joe had a, a thing where he he always started slow, and uh, Corey takes advantage of that because you could see Corey gets a big first round. The first round of uh, Frazier Corey, you know, I would put it up there with the first round of Hagler Hearns, even though there isn't the dramatic, um, uh, you know, the way Hagler was so badly stunned in the beginning of that round that it was like, oh boy, now. This is just war. Uh, there wasn't quite an, as uh, a moment of that intensity, but Frazier versus Corey won is just a tremendous fight. Joe Frazier at I, what I think might be, other than uh, you know, in the first fight of the century, in the fight of the century, of course, I would say Corey, Frazier versus Corey won is probably Joe Frazier at his peak. You know, so, yeah, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, you know, when people mention Quarry. They don't realize they they think of Quarry, the you know the the brothers collectively as oh they were punching bags they you know because they never were titleist and and everything, but they were quality fighters you know the three heavyweights that come to mind that don't get the credit that they deserve is is Jerry Quarry number one, um, George Chavalo 
is another one. And Bert Cooper. I mean, these are three guys that, yeah, they, they've come up short. But look at who they fought. I mean, every one of them fought everyone, especially Quarry. I mean, you could you could turn around and, and make an argument for Quarry and, you know, about how good he is and, and the way people should look at him and forget the loss, uh, you know, the loss total on his on his record. You know, if if these three guys were fighting today, I guarantee you that they would have one of the belts. I it, I would I would I would bet my last penny on it, you know. So no, that's another good pick, man. Oh yeah, I mean that, that's the thing about Jerry Quarry. He was just so tough. And one of the things that um, the drama in this fight is uh, just the in- all these fights I picked for the intensity of um, the competition. And uh, when you when this fight is stopped on cuts, uh, look at how upset quarry is um it's amazing the guy was just fierce competitor and uh you know it was a bummer for him because his skin failed him uh his skills didn't and um that's always an interesting thing but not to take any credit away from frazier i mean it's very possible frazier was going to stop him down the road that was one of those um but you know you can't really say that. That's the thing about these this sport is that a few of these bouts and ones you mentioned as well as the ones that I'm going to mention. The the thing that's great about boxing, I guess this is true about all sport, is that um, it the way these bouts turn out could become a source of resentment for the rest of your life. No, I know. Look at it, like Hagler. No, but Hagler. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, come for on. Me, that's, that's a uh, national holiday for resentment, April 6th. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think another one, Kenny Buchanan, I'm sure uh, is that's a source. Like he has mentioned that um, he's never been able to uh, take, uh, you know, go to the bathroom without thinking about Duran. But, you know, but the thing with those two is that they their careers continued on for many years after, especially Durant. Hagler walked away never to return. And yeah. that is very, very difficult in today's world of boxing because of the, you know, people being, uh, the you know, uh, lured in with, with, with money and, you know, coming back uh, for that fight. I mean, another guy that I give credit to is Klitschko. He was tempted a few times and didn't. Lennox Lewis uh, is probably up there, too. He, he retired as champion, never to return. I mean, in today's sporting world, that takes a lot of you-know-whats to uh, to stay away, especially when, when people are just throwing money at you, you know? So, anyway, yep. what else you got? All right, so we'll, it's a good transition from that uh, in terms of, like, uh, guys getting redemption. Um this is a fight, one of my favorite fights, and I thought about this last night as I was going to bed because there was a couple I was thinking, well, that's a great barn burner of a fight. That's definitely worth watching. But this one is just one that was always one of my favorites, and that's uh, Tommy Hearns versus Juan Domingo Roldan. Yeah, uh, yes. It occurred uh, October 29, 1987. It was uh, Tommy Hearns' fifth fight after losing to Marvelous Marvin Hagler. And think about that. It is his fifth fight, um, 1987, almost Halloween. He fought Marvin Hagler on April 15, 1985. So less than three years go by, and he's had five fights. Um, that's that's uh, that's a much higher pace than these days. 
Um, and especially considering the brutality of the uh, loss to Hagler. Um, Juan Domingo Rodon, of course, is the one who is credited with uh, it's sort of a dubious uh, knockdown of marvelous Marvin Hagler, but uh, he did. He's the one who has is the only man to ever put uh, Mar- the marvelous one on the deck. And the I, I'm a little the one thing about the, doing this show that I was I thought of last night, Billy C, is by us mentioning all these shows, uh, it might make YouTube pull them down <laughs> <laughs> because. Um, the thing that's great about this one is the the pay-per-view broadcast is still on YouTube, and it's uh, the great Tim Ryan and Gil Clancy, who just were a great team for uh, the pay-per-views in the 80s, and sitting with them is the marvelous one himself. At this point, he might not have been completely embittered about boxing yet. Uh, I'm surprised because... Um, it is within six months of the because uh, it's October of '87. You know he had lost to Leonard in April. I think they were still talking about a possible rematch, and I think he was sitting there thinking there might be a rematch with Tommy Hearns as a possibility, maybe at 168 pounds, maybe at 175. Whatever. Uh, it does make for some great commentary to listen to the marvelous one's comments on you know, both uh, of his ex-opponents, and it's a hell of a fight. Um, And uh, just a really tough fight. Hearns just does incredible body punching. Uh, Roldan, just a tough guy from Argentina, um, takes a pounding and gets stopped, and Hearns picks up his uh, fourth world title in as many weight classes. And for me, one of the things that is burned into my memory is the way Tommy Hearns, and maybe it was because I had Hagler's such a big hero to me. I always remember that moment where the fallen Hearns is being carried to his corner after being knocked out by Hagler. And this was the absolute opposite of that. When Hearns stops uh, Roldan, he is overjoyed. And the camera's like over his shoulder and he sort of pumps his fist four times and then a big stomp and puts his hands straight up in the air. And it's just this magnificent little uh, personal celebration for what he has just accomplished. And it just, for me, it felt great as a boxing fan to watch that because um, you can't, I don't know, for me, I love Marvin Hagler, but Marvin Hagler isn't what he is without the hot Tommy Hearns fight. So, um, of course, uh, it's one of those moments where um, it just it's one of those uh, really fun knockout fights that I enjoyed. Probably wasn't fun for Juan Roldan because it's one of those faced first uh, KOs. And those got those tend to be the most dramatic. Roldan is a fighter that should get more credit because he, he he fought some tough. Uh, he was in some tough fights, but nobody had a meaner face look than Tommy Hearns. He was he he was mean. He was mean looking when he when he had his fight face on. I I can't think of anyone that had a meaner. Even Mike Tyson, you know. I mean, uh, maybe Sonny Liston. The the Sonny Liston just stare, you know. But Tommy Hearns, his whole face contorted to this viciousness, you know, like uh, the Hitman. You know, I I love Tommy Hearns. But uh, anyway, what else you got? Um, 
So now the next one in terms of tough guy swagger, this is a great one. Um, and this is part of this fight that made me watch this because I don't remember ever watching the whole fight. Uh, I remember seeing clips and reading about it, um, but I don't remember seeing the whole thing until probably this year. Uh, I've mentioned a few times uh, how I enjoy Mike Tyson's podcast. He had uh, Sugar Ray Leonard on not too long ago, and he talks to Ray Leonard uh, with just reverence about how when he was a kid, um, he remembers watching Sugar Ray versus uh, Wilfred Benitez. And this, at the time, that was just a clash with the two best welterweights on earth. And um, Ray Leonard is 23. Benitez is 21. Um, it's a tough, competitive 15-rounder. That's the other thing. I wanted to make sure to have a 15-rounder on this list. Um, and uh, it goes tw 15 competitive rounds. I don't think there's – there's no knockdowns, but – Ray Leonard did say afterwards that was the sorest he had ever been up to that point in his career after that fight. And um, just when you look at the uh, just the toughness and the stare downs, it probably is one of the best stare downs of all time. And the amount of swagger that these two guys bring to the ring. Um, the only fight that I think was probably close that I remember, like within – uh, you know, going to myself that I think had a similar comparison was maybe uh, the first Pernell Whitaker versus Buddy McGirt fight because uh, that was a very intense, competitive welterweight fight. Um, but uh, this is even more so. It's a hell of a fight. Definitely worth a watch because Benitez is probably the guy, you know, we always talk about the Fab Four of the 80s. If it was a Fab Five, the fifth, it was Wilfred Benitez. Yeah, no, there's no doubt, and it's a shame that he gets left out sometimes when uh, when you're discussing that. It's just that the the Fab Four, so to speak, were were so up at the top, and the fact that they fought each other uh, in all those round robins, if you will, um, made made the difference. So, uh, you have uh, another one or two, two two left. Um... Okay, now this one, again, for resentments, nursing resentments, this is another great one. Trinidad versus Vargas. Yes. Um, <laughs> you said that. December, I believe it was December 2nd, 2000. Um, and one of the things that was great about it was it came at the end of a year, you know, the first year or, well, you know, depending on how you score it, whether 2001 or 2000 is the first year of the new century, you know. I've heard different people argue that. But um, the fight was incredible. Um, it was, yeah, December 2nd, 2000. And um, the, uh, at the time, they were both undefeated. Uh, if anything, Fernando Vargas was probably, um, you know, a little too green. But he was one of these guys that, uh, you know, he wanted the world. Um, and he was uh, just a bold, aggressive fighter. And, you know, he, he was probably just a little bit too green versus Felix Trinidad. But, man, he tried his ass off. And it was just an, a stunning first round where you, don't, you can't believe that Vargas survives it. Um, but he does. It goes 12 intense rounds. Uh, 
some of the best fighting of, um, you know, one of the most competitive and memorable 154-pound championship fights ever. And um, there's so many dramatic elements. It's got knockdowns. It has dastardly low blows that uh, some people will never forgive Felix Trinidad for. And you go ahead and watch it yourself, and you see the, the timing of them, and you see if they weren't dastardly. Um, but uh, just a tremendous fight. And I think it assured fight fans that not only were – because this – remember, 2000 started in February with uh, the first Barrera-Morales fight, which was amazing. And then in the summer, we had uh, Mosley De La Hoya. So it was like, wow, this is going to be uh, – maybe the next century will be good. Uh, Y2K, there's nothing about it. You know, it's all a fantasy. Uh, and then we saw this fight, Trinidad Vargas, which was so intense. Uh, it assured fight fans that um, – you know, there will be intense brawls uh, and bad blood type brawls uh, in the 21st century. And that's a good thing. You know, Fernando Vargas, um, he was a classic case of being rushed a little too much. I loved Fernando and he was in some tough fights um, too soon. And that was definitely one of them. And there was another kid, Francisco Bajada. Bajado, or I forget his name. He 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 was like uh, another guy um, that started busted out onto the scene when he was a teenager, and just skyrocketed. And he put him in so many tough fights. He ended up uh, having a short-lived career. So it's a catch twenty-two. I want to see fights. I want to see meaningful fights, but I don't want to see the kids rushed either. You know what I mean? I mean, it has to be a happy uh, medium. But uh, no doubt, I'm. I'm glad you uh, you brought uh, Fernando into the mix because I, I I hope he still seems to be a fan favorite, um, but uh, I hope that uh, people don't forget him because he was uh, he was uh, really good. And if you see him now, you're like, I think Fernando's in there somewhere. Him and uh, him and uh, uh, what's his face is put on some Amir Khan, uh, not Amir Khan. Um, uh, who who is the guy? Uh, that flew in on the magic carpet. I, I, I'm oh, uh, Prince Hasim yeah, Ahmed. Yeah, ha Ahmed. Uh, it was the, one of the greatest uh, ring entrances I ever saw when he came in on the magic carpet. But he's put on some extra bambinos as well. But uh, uh, who do you who? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the thing. That fight was just amazing. There just it, there's some incredible left hook exchanges in that fight. Um, Fernando Vargas, just really a stunningly good boxer for his age. And it's sort of like a Mike Tyson in that sense, in that he had incredible talent and explosiveness young. And then, you know, things were harder to maintain or adapt his style as he get older. And some of his speed and explosive faded as well as, you know, being, I mean, that Trinidad bout took a lot out of him. I mean, if you want to see a tremendous-looking uh, young uh, fighter, uh, his win over Yori Boy Campus, man, he just looks amazing that night. But, yeah, that, that fight, Trinidad Vargas, and you're right. Vargas is a guy who's been on the Hall of Fame ballot a couple of times. He's probably not going to make it, but um, when you look at Trinidad, De La Hoya, Mosley, um, they all had great fights with Fernando Vargas, even Winky Wright, one of Winky Wright's best wins. I mean, uh, best uh, fights was a fight where he he lost a close majority decision to Fernando Vargas. 
Uh, and that was one of those moments where, at, at the time, at the beginning of this um, century, uh, junior middleweight was a pretty hot division, as it is now, actually. Yeah, no, it's uh, no doubt about that. What was your last one? Okay, so my last one, of course, has another connection today to today because um, it's I have a, a fight poster of it, and I noticed yesterday, I was like, oh, the anniversary is uh, Sunday. Uh, and this is a tremendous, I watched the whole thing last night, and again, it is up there on YouTube, at least for a few, few more moments, <laughs> uh, in its original broadcast form, uh, which it was an HBO fight, and that is Vasily Yerov versus James Lights Out Tony. And it took place April 26, 2003. So, um, what, 17 years ago today? And um, just we got tremendous uh, boxing talent in the corners as well. You had Tommy Brooks in uh, Vasily Yerov's corner, Freddie Roach in James Tony. Uh, it was a cruiserweight bout. And... Um, it, this was really just an, a stunning fight. One of the things that I was a little disappointed was that there was no Larry Merchant on the broadcast. It's just Lampley and um, the late Emmanuel Stewart. And it's one of those moments where the action gets so heated, you hear uh, Emmanuel Stewart saying, Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's repeatedly saying, Oh, my God, look at this! The 12th round is stunning. But it is, um, even up until that point, it is a heated firefight. Lots of swagger between both these guys. They stare each other down at the end of every single round. Um, Vasily Yerov chooses to stand between rounds. And it's one of those things that I've always heard, you know, that's maybe not a wise choice because eventually what happens if you get tired and then you sit down? You've sent a very powerful message to the other corner that, wow, I'm weakening him. And that's exactly what happens. I'm not sure if it's the 10th or 11th, but Yerov finally takes a seat. The other thing that's interesting about it is that it's a fight where HBO seemed to be, or at least Lampley and Letterman, seemed completely convinced by the punch stat numbers of who was winning. And then when the scores were read... It was lopsided the other way for Tony. And then when you f looked at the final CompuBox numbers, they were fascinating because even though Vasily Yerov threw a ridiculous one, over a thousand punches, um, James Tony landed almost every other shot he threw. He l scored 47% of his punches. So it was, it was really one of those fights where it was quality versus quantity, and it's uh, just a hotly competitive, uh, contested fight, and um, there's just a, the 12th round is stunning. You know, that's what turned me off to HBO and Jim Lampley, because once punch stats came out, he started basing his commentary on those punch stats. And then what followed that was that commentary and those punch stats became robbery fights. It was a robbery. It was, you know, and I, I, I don't think that that's the right way to call a fight. I think the way to call a fight is to call the action that's happening in front of you. That's it. Yeah, you want to refer to something else, fine. Jim Lampley got to the point where he would wait for the stats to be handed to him 
and then he would comment on the round of who won based on those stats. I, I thought it was terrible. The, the stats in boxing, the punch stats, are just like the sport itself. It's subjective to the person keeping track. If you went back and did it after the fact and you were able to stop after every landed punch or watch a video, replay it, stop it, and see did the punch actually land or not, I would take those stats after that as more of legit statistics versus subjective opinion of two guys that are sitting ringside with a laptop and hitting a button when it's a punch uh, that lands, and they have two shot, two choices, a jab or a power shot. Every punch other than a jab is a power shot. And should you knock a guy out with a jab, it goes in the book as a jab, not a power shot, even though you knocked him out. So I, I think that the punch stats, although they're, they're a conversation, Pete, I've, I've said this many, many times, you know that, um, I don't think that people should use them as a statistic like in other sports. You're up at bat 10 times, you, you get five hits, you're batting 500. It's a, a statistic. It's right there. It's cut and dry. It's math. Boxing is subjective. I'm saying that the punch landed. You're saying it grazed him. You're not going to score it. You know, who's right? Yeah, you know, you, we could give a million arguments why I'm right. You can give a million why you're right. And here we are relying on two other guys that are doing the same thing from a subjective standpoint. I'm sorry, but the punch stats are a conversation piece only. They should not be used as true statistics like they have been over the last, uh, you know, dozen years or so. Yeah, I think this fight is a good example of the argument about how important are they um, because I, I think I, I really enjoy them. I think they are what the way HBO, when they first started using them, would always introduce them as here's the CompuBox numbers. Remember, CompuBox, this is a quantitative look at the fight, not necessarily a qualitative and that's exactly the way to keep them in mind because this fight was a perfect example. And that, this is what I was surprised that Harold Letterman and Jim Lampley didn't point out was that, and this is, it's prize fighting. So what we got to keep, keep an eye on is damage. And if you watch, look at that fight, sure, Yurov was definitely pushing the action, uh, making the fight in the sense that he was throwing much more punches but a lot of the punches were grazing shots, and whereas Tony's punches, uh, there was fewer of them, but they were mean, hard hooks. Look at the face of Yerov, the swelling compared to Tony at the end. And I think that was the thing that the three judges all had it pretty lopsided for James Tony. But um, Jim Lampley and Harold Letterman saw it much differently. Um, and I think that that might be swaying them. I'm not sure if they, you know, if they're looking at the punch numbers on their monitor at the same time, because if they are, that is that is going to affect you. Jurov was an interesting fighter. People forget he fought Baby Joe Macy, ended Baby Joe Macy's career for all intent and purposes. Uh, after the brain scan of that, Baby Joe Macy was done. Um, I got the uh, luxury of... of uh, meeting Jurov. Uh, I had a fighter at the time, Ken Craven, who uh, we fought um, Jurov in. in <laughs> it's a whole other story. The adventure in the Dakotas. Uh, we were trapped on an Indian reservation because mountain lions were ripping people apart and we were not allowed to leave the uh, facility. Wow. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and the other strange thing was 
um, we were all on the same plane. We were on the same plane. We got into the same bus. You know, it was like a limo bus type thing that took us for the two-hour drive from the airport into the middle of the nowhere land where they had this place. And um, it, it was strange because we were all with them. But Jurov was a, a quiet guy, brought all his own food with him, refused to eat anything else, was a, a, a vegetarian, I believe. Um, uh, that's all he had. And... Um, you know, he was a, a no-nonsense guy. Ken Craven had a great uh, chance to beat him, but he ended up right when he started training. Uh, we we had Snoops uh, in Poughkeepsie at the time, and uh, uh, we bring him in. He starts training, and he, he missed his family and went home and didn't train and uh, ultimately got stopped in that fight. But, uh, uh, it's a, it, you know, it, it, it taught me a lot about the boxing game, you know, uh, being smart, bringing your own stuff. If you're, if you're worried about not getting the exact nutrition, uh, that you wanted, uh, and what a smart move it was. Cause the food at this particular, uh, four bears was, uh, the worst I've ever eaten. I wouldn't even feed it to my dog and we were stuck there. And it also shows you if you're a fighter and you're not giving it a hundred percent, if you're not preparing a hundred percent, the hell are you doing it for you know i mean uh it was it was uh, quite the learning experience but anyway jurov never really got back on top um if you really look at it and he was uh he was a decent fighter yeah and i mean i think this is one of those bouts that it was probably one of the greatest cruiserweight fights um of all time and certainly because uh, one of the other like i had mentioned i wanted to put a 15 rounder in here the one i was thinking about was the first Holyfield Kawi fight, because that was an intense fight too. But I think this one might have been a little more brutal. I mean, Vasily Yerov, it's Steve Smoger as the referee. So that's one of those things. In the final round, you could have argued to stop it. And it sounded like Emmanuel Stewart even wanted it stopped. Um, but uh, because it's one of those things, there's a point where Yerov is out on his feet. And to me, that's the most, uh, because this. This sport, to me, I don't know. I'm a guy who loves superheroes. So when I see these guys do something preternatural, that's what stuns me. And I remember when uh, Tim Bradley, it, when he was, like, out on his feet versus Ruslan Provodnikov, there's a moment like that in the 12th round where Yerov is fighting on automatic pilot. I don't know how he's staying up, and um, he's still punching and uh, Tony is punching, and that's really when uh, Emmanuel Stewart is just going, oh, my God, look at this. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I appreciate you uh, uh, giving us those fights. And, and just for everybody uh, stuck uh, indoors or whatever, there's so many great fights. The Riddick Bowe fights uh, against Andrew Golada are great to watch. I mean, um, just so many. But the ones that Alex and I just gave you are just other ones that may not have been, you know, the most common fights people talk about, uh, but you should go watch them. Especially, I mean, that Gene Fulmer Benny Kid Perret fight was, uh, and and I think the reason why it made such an impact on me is because when when Sal and I did that event, it was kind of the first time I ever watched that fight in its entirety. As a matter of fact, neither one of us knew what the outcome was. Um, so it was, it was in a sense watching it live. I, I guess I, 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 I'm wrong. I knew what the outcome was, but I didn't know it was like that kind of, you know, I knew, I knew that, uh, Benny Kid Perrette lost the fight, 
but I didn't realize. And then when I did more, uh, you know, dug into it as we were preparing for that to see where they both ended up in their next fights. I mean, you know, uh, unfortunately for Benny Kid Pared, he, he fought too soon and, and didn't live uh, after his next fight against Emil Griffith. But some of the rule changes, Alex, may have saved his life um, if they, you know, did a head scan after a knockout, uh, you know, preventing him from fighting again. Uh, Gene Fulmer actually knew that he took a beating in that fight. He did not fight for about a year after that. And then his last three fights, he didn't win one against uh, Dick Tiger. So very interesting fight that I think a lot of people did not see, at least, uh, uh, you know, the younger fans now that I would go back and, and watch. And, and then the, the other fights, too. Uh, Alex, like the Jack Johnson, James Jeffries fight, what significance there was behind that fight, you know, and, and even like your favorite Marvin Hagler, Sugar Ray Leonard. I mean, what transpired after that fight? I mean, we lost Hagler forever. Uh, the sport of boxing was changed. You didn't have to knock out the champ anymore. Uh, you know, the little subtle things, um, that, you know, you can contribute a specific fight for, for changing it. You know, the, the uh, uh, Dooku Kim against uh, Boom Boom Mancini, you know, going, uh, ending the 15-round fights with the WBC, you know, I mean, stuff like that. And, you know, it's got such a, boxing has such a history behind it. And you wonder if a, a tragedy like uh, COVID-19 is going to prevent it from moving forward. I, I read an interesting article the other day, Alex, about how boxing, the fighters had gotten themselves, because let's face it, some of these fights that we were talking about, Hagler Hearns and Leonard Hagler, those guys were making big money in the 80s, $10 million each they were making in those fights. That kind of tailed off, and fighters weren't making that much uh, money. Uh, there was only a couple of fighters making big bucks, and then that changed over the last half a dozen years the top fighters are making big money again. Well, I read an interesting article that stated that the COVID-19 is actually going to be pulling money out of these fighters' pockets because in order for them to be successful, how are they going to ever demand the top money they got back into making to get people to watch again? Sports are different. The other sports, football, baseball, basketball, they have TV contracts. They have It's team-oriented. They have leagues that that help. They have unions that help. You know, so the rates, the salaries, the money that they make is kind of fixed. Boxing isn't. You know, you lose a fight or you have a bad performance, your value goes out the window. It's going to be interesting to see what this uh, ep uh, pandemic does to the sport of boxing specifically. Absolutely. And I, I think, yeah, you bring up a good point. And I've heard this discussed. Well, a few things. One, uh, we're very lucky because, um, like you pointed out, um, there's there's so many great fights to watch on YouTube, and boxing is, I think, more than any other sport, the most rewatchable. Uh, you know, I used to love watching the Knicks, but I've never gone on YouTube to watch an old Knick game. Um, no, I, you you very rarely do other sports. You know, I mean, maybe highlights, but very rarely do you watch a game. You know the result. I, I don't. But with boxing, I mean, it's because every like Joyce Carol Oates always said. Every fight's a story, and if you you participate in the drama when you rewatch it, um, so it's it's by far the most rewatchable sport. Um, yeah, in terms of going forward, that's one of the things I've heard is that maybe sports would go on, but you would have this very weird situation where 
the athletes would have to be, um, you know, tested. They would have, uh, you know, taken their temperature or whatever. They would also have to be tracked. You, you'd put them up in hotels and stuff and make sure that they don't get contact with other people. They'd be like slaves um, because you wouldn't want them to have that risk of infection. So, yeah, I'm not sure how this is going to work. Um, things are going to change. Uh, you know, we, got, we will see something interesting. I think it's worth watching at least uh, to see what, um, what's his name, big ego man there, Dana White does with this uh, Enter the Dragon type island of combat. Uh, I can't help but think of the Bruce Lee movie that uh, he wants to have uh, fights. May I think he might have found a, st a state in the... You know, landlock someplace landlocked, but he was thinking about doing it on an island, having a a, a fight island. Yeah, then and they canceled that. He was gonna, and so then what is it Jacksonville? I think they're talking about. Well, I I, I they're revisiting it it's now. It's got to be Florida. It's got to be in Florida. Well, Florida said it was okay again, and you know, think people are opening up, and uh, you, you have to, in my opinion, um, it, because what's it, the only other solution if you're going to keep people quarantined? Well, better better buckle down because in order to beat it totally, it's going to take years, you know. So I, I mean, truthfully, because there's carriers, and you know, people could be sitting in quarantine right now as a carrier. They don't know how long it stays in in a system with someone who's a carrier, not just someone that has it, but a carrier. Um, you got somebody sitting in quarantine for several weeks and then they come out, everybody, okay, and it starts the whole process over again, stronger. Yeah, and that's yeah. the part that gets me where it's just like the thing is that my mother, when we go, my mother has a compromised immune system and she loves ice cream. So when we go food shopping for her, I have to swab the whole ice cream with a Lysol wipe because this, this disease, this virus just wants it's just like the thing it wants to get someplace cold and just wait because then you could take that thing of ice cream out six months from now and get COVID-19 because it's, it's it's being preserved I know I know you know hey listen my big line now is I, I choose the bandana when I walk into stores and you know only older people know when I say hey I'm looking for a train any trains around you know, people look at me like, huh? And I'm like, that's what ever... I, I, I was thinking about that my, the other day. My, my cousin, Didi, his favorite movie was The Outlaw Josie Whale. Love it. Love like, it. He, he would have loved this time. He could walk around everywhere wearing a bandana. Yeah. Outlaw Josie Whale's uh, how's it on <laughs> when he spits. Oh, this thing works great on anything. <laughs> spits on his white jacket. <laughs> how's it on stains? Clint says, you know, but, uh, you know, me and my buddy, me and my buddy Chester, uh, we used to, Good to Bad the Ugly is my favorite uh, Western of all time, but Outlaw Josie Wells is, is pretty much the next one. And there's the scenes where Clint is pulling out all these guns and he's shooting. And we challenge people to, to count how many guns he has because we've come up with different numbers all the time. Like, he's pulling them out. He's got them on the side. He's got them inside. I mean, it's just gun after gun, and then click, click, drops them, pulls out another one. It's like, how many guns does he have in there, you know? And uh, it was it's great. But, Alex, I appreciate your time and uh, had some fun today reliving some uh, fights for sure and uh, recommending them uh, to the uh, viewers. I will get with you. Uh, over the next week and figure out a, a game plan for us and the show. And uh, we'll go from there, my man.
That sounds great, Billy C. Yep, sounds like a great list. I'm going right to YouTube and watch some boxing. Yeah, hey, well, watch that Benny Kid Perrette and uh, Gene Fulman fight. I watch that, definitely, because I've never seen that whole thing. No, watch it. Watch it. You will you can watch it on a Billy C. channel, too, by the way, and have, uh, uh, you know, myself and Sal Rocky Senecola calling the action as if it's live. It was great. It was great. Fun oh, stuff. Nice. But uh, anyway, have a good one, my man. All right, Billy C., take care. That's Alex Papali giving us uh, his uh, insight and his uh, fights uh, that he thinks you should watch while you're uh, in jail. Je- I mean, uh, uh, in uh, quarantine. I got a uh, message from my man Augie from Riverhead, and uh, he said, uh, "Hey Billy, see, what's your opinion on Wilder? Will he actually make a comeback, or is it over? Uh, what's his next move?" Well, uh, Augie, uh, he is coming back and he has exercised his uh third fight option with uh tyson fury um i I do believe that he was exposed just like we've said the whole time um deontay wilder possess a heavy hand and it's freakish power and it got him where he was um there's no question about it and um you can't take that away from him he's got the punching power uh, he can knock anyone out uh, on the planet. And uh, although he did display a jab and some footwork um, in his first fight with uh, Bermain Stavern, since then he has shown zilch uh, of any kind of boxing ability other than headhunting for uh, the knockout. And you can make the argument that his last uh, handful of fights, he was losing on every scorecard until he knocked his opponent out. Um you know, the truth of the matter is, is he's a one-dimensional one fighter. And uh, Tyson Fury feels he's taking a third fight only for the money. Could be. Um, you know, you don't teach a guy that's in his 30s who has been extremely successful knocking people out. He, you know, I know people have said, oh, well, you know, what do you do? Oh, you go back to the drawing board. You learn this, you learn that. No, nah, you're not going to. Because in the heat of battle, what's going to happen is that he's going to revert back to what comes naturally to him. And what comes naturally to Deontay Wilder is seek and destroy. I'm going to knock him out with my right hand. Um, You know, it's a shame. But this has been my argument for all these years where, you know, young fighters need to be taught correctly. So, number one, you need a true trainer, teacher, uh, not a rah-rah man. Number two, you need to up your level of opposition while you're building yourself up, while you're moving up in the ranks. Overprotecting and coddling fighters uh, don't do it. They, the bad habits uh, just get uh, basically solidified. They get uh, reinforced by the, 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 the Yahoo, the Yaya men, the you know, people that are, yeah, 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 what he said, what he said, you know, I mean, stuff like that. Um, so where does he go from here? Well, he's fighting, um, you know, Tyson Fury. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be the next fight or whatever, but he is exercising it. I personally feel that Deontay Wilder um, should fight another fight and then go after Tyson Fury. Uh, but if he goes right, if their next fight is each other, you're not going to see anything different. I think Tyson Fury won the first fight. Uh, It ended up as a draw, uh, officially. Tyson Fury destroyed him in the second fight. And the third fight might not be a destruction, 
uh, because Tyson Fury is going to be fighting a little more cautious. I don't think you'll see Tyson Fury with the same game plan you saw in the second fight. I think we're going to see a combination of the first game plan and the second game plan, and I think that Tyson Fury will come out with uh, something that um, Deontay Wilder will not have an answer for. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed. He doesn't have any skill. He has no footwork. Um, he's really just a power puncher, and Tyson Fury knows that. Tyson Fury has to protect himself from that punch, and that's it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I strongly think that Deontay Wilder uh, could have made some changes uh, in his team and uh, maybe be in a better position right now uh, than he is. But uh, anyway, thank you for the uh, message, Augie. And uh, one last time, um, we are going to make a decision with the show. Um, I've said it in the beginning of the show, and I alluded to it uh, midway through, but um, in lieu of what's going on with the sport itself, uh, a lot of the uh, unknowledgeable fans, and quite honestly, uh, some of the uh, uh, ratings that uh, we are getting on YouTube, um, we may bail from YouTube altogether. It just doesn't seem worth it to us. Uh, or we just will do specials. Uh, YouTube has changed their format yet again. It does not work correctly. There is no support for it. And it's useless to me. Um, YouTube uh, was geared for, you know, Johnny pokes his eye out with an with a ice pick. You know, ha, 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 let's get 40 million views. Um, not so much for a full-length uh, uh, program like, like ours. Uh, we are on the radio, and we do have a website that we post this stuff up, and we will upload the videos to YouTube uh, for you, at least for now. But the future of this show is in your hands. If you drop me an email and let us know what you think, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. My, my options really are to uh, go back to a daily format, which I find very unlikely, um, continue doing the weekly format, which we are right now. And the third option, well, actually two more options. Uh, the third option would be to, to do uh, a monthly show where we cover uh, maybe the biggest fight or uh, we do some specials or whatever, you know, on a month-to-month -month basis. And then the uh, final option is to just stop doing the show altogether. And uh, I'm at that point. So uh, let me know what you think. Drop me an email, Billy at Talkin Boxing, T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com. Stay tuned for all information on the show. Uh, make sure you're uh, a friend of ours on uh, Facebook. Uh, we did broadcast the show uh, uh, live on Facebook. Uh, you can also uh, make sure you're on our YouTube page. Subscribe to the YouTube, that would help. Um, and spread the word. Don't forget we have a podcast so you can get our. Uh, uh, shows uh, on uh, iTunes, so check all of that out. Hey, listen, uh, be safe, uh, practice uh, social distancing whenever you can, and wear the bandana and go look for a train. No, <laughs> that's what I'm. That's what I'm doing. But uh, make sure you tune in next time, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.